Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We're going to do a whole hour of question and answer on licensing your inventions and bringing them to market by basically renting them. That's what licensing is to very large companies. So it's their money, their distribution and their employees. You don't need to raise money. You don't need to hire employees and you don't need to risk your life savings or quit your day job or your business that you're currently running. That's the big benefit with licensing. So we're gonna answer some questions about licensing today. Make sure to subscribe using the link down below. Give us a thumbs up on the videos that you watch on our YouTube channel. And we're gonna be doing a whole hour of question and answer today. It's, it's great to have you here in the new year. It's fantastic to see you guys. We got a lot of regulars for my live stream here. I love answering your guys' questions. We've had a lot of students over time or I think fans of our YouTube show over time sign up and then come back to this live stream. Hey, I've been a student for a while. It's really, really cool. So I want to thank everybody, whether you're a fan or whether you're a student of ours, for showing up to this live stream. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Um, I'm only a little bit sniffly, so that I caught a little bit of a cold during the holiday, but I'm doing pretty good. So hopefully you'll be able to understand me fairly well. Uh, we already got a bunch of questions in here. So let's jump on there. Before I do get started, I want to tell you about a few resources. If you go to, if you do it on the um, on the internet, um, not on your phone, but on a computer, and if it's on the phone, you can find it. It's not that hard to find. But if you go to inventright.com, the upper right-hand corner, there's two very important buttons, and you can find this if you're checking on your phone too. Um, you can find the free resources tab. Check that out. We got a ton of free resources. Inventright gives away so much information for free. It's incredible. Um, check out that and sign up for that. And then if you do need some coaching or want to talk to us about any of the services we offer, I see some questions in here about our design studio. And then another question is about our all access program where we make a list of companies for you. Um, and so if you got any questions about that sort of stuff, you can check out inventright.com and you can also click on the contact us page and um, talk to Sylvia or Dana. They're both super friendly. Occasionally, I'll do those calls as well um, if they need a little bit of help. Uh, all right. So first question was Matt Miller, and we're going to get to the regular questions here, but he, thought he was the first in line, so I'm going to go ahead and answer that. Hi, Andrew. Happy New Year. Can you please explain a little bit more about the all-access package that InventRight has, and is the price $5.99? Thank you for a great day. And how many, how many times can you buy this? All access package. Happy New Year's to everybody. So we have a program called All Access. I think it's really underpriced. It's a really good deal. It's about $599. And we will make a list of companies for you and three or four people in each of those companies that you can reach out to. And we'll give you their email, their phone number, and their LinkedIn um, page. So you can reach out to them LinkedIn via email and via the phone. And that's what that program is. Pretty straightforward. Obviously, we need a good enough idea what your product is. So, you know, like if it's a kitchen cutting board, we're going to find companies that make those types of products or this or that. So if you do order that at some point, you do need to make it clear enough. Um, I will personally reach out to you or Sony customer service will if we're like, oh, we're not really clear because we need to give this to our researcher to, to make that list for you. But we need to have a good idea what the product is. All right. So uh, first uh, other question, uh, Dave said, uh, Happy New Year all on our sell sheet. I like this question. It's a good question, important question. And I have a very strong opinion on this question. Um, so you guys will know for sure how I feel about it and it'll be helpful for everybody. Uh, Happy New Year um, on our sell sheet. Should we put a link to our demo video below the benefit statement or at the bottom of the page? I would say neither. Um, for the link, could we use our website link with a login and password? Absolutely a bad idea. Um, also, instead of using a YouTube private link, could we use a Dropbox link or something that of that nature that the company would think that a it would be a website URL? Dropbox or others look unprofessional and spammy. Okay, so what they're talking about is you've got a sell sheet, right? You got a one-page PDF, and it's basically an advertisement for your product. For those of you who are new, we encourage people, we encourage people to do one-page sell sheets. We don't encourage them. We say that's what you have to do. Um, and But what some people will do is they'll also do uh, what we call a sell sheet video 
or a video, a short under 60 second video for your product. So some of our students just do a sell sheet, a one page ad for the product. And it's not an ad for the company you're sending to, it's an ad for their customer. This is what they would use, what they would show to their customer. That's what a sell sheet is, okay? Not too difficult to figure that out. Although, man, people really do terrible, messed up sell sheets. And we just go, oh my God, what were you thinking? Not our students, because we're guiding them. But when we see sell sheets from the public, I, I just, fr quite frankly, I don't know what people were thinking. You would think that, um, especially for Americans, we've had students in over 65 countries, but this is a society where we're constantly bombarded with ads and advertising and we see packaging and you would think most of us would be good at it, but not the case at all. Most people are pretty terrible at it, um, at making an advertising piece that the, the company, the marketing manager in the company is going to get, is trying to click, I'm not very good. I, I, there we go. I got it. Um, or it's going to understand your product in like six seconds. Okay. So, so I'm getting off on a tangent here. So you got a sell sheet, right? Just one page PDF. You're going to attach it to an email. You're going to send it to a company. And within that PDF, sometimes our students will do a short video. Okay. Now, what we always say is it's going to link to an unlisted, not a private, not a public, but unlisted YouTube video. And you might say, well, Andrew, why don't I make it private? Well, if you make it private, you need to have that marketing manager's YouTube username to share it with them. You're not, they're not going to know their YouTube username. Who knows that? You guys probably don't know your YouTube username. I only know it now if you take a look at it because we're streaming and you can look at it. But so, and then you definitely don't want to publicly post your invention unless you've been selling it before publicly already, but you don't want to publicly post that. So you make it unlisted. So what is an unlisted YouTube video? An unlisted YouTube video is literally only people with a link can see it. And yeah, they can share it within the company. You want that to happen, right? So it's essentially like a password, it's this really long URL, web address, and it, the password's basically baked in. So nobody can search for it. Nobody can find it. Only people you share it with or they share it with um, can see it. So it's essentially like a password. And no, you don't put that up underneath your benefit statement at the top of your sell sheet. No, you don't put it at the very bottom. You put it somewhere around the middle. And you could say, like, watch the video. It could have a little thumbnail of a video that intrigues them. It could have a little YouTube symbol or a play button where it says, watch the video, okay? And then that's going to link to your unlisted, unlisted YouTube video, okay? So, no, don't, and don't make this big old long URL link. No, no, no. It's going to be a, a little thumbnail of the video, or it's going to be a little play button. It says watch the video. When you hover over it, you can see that it's clickable and it will click through. You don't want it to be a Dropbox link because people are comfortable with YouTube. They're like, oh, okay, it's YouTube. I'm comfortable. They don't want to be clicking on random links or random Dropbox links. You definitely don't want to get a, a URL shortener that then goes to, because a lot of corporate servers are going to go, oh, that's the red flag. And you, they may, you may not even get the email to them because it might get trapped in their spam filter because it's like looking like this URL, but then it's redirecting to another URL. They're called URL shorteners or redirects. You don't want to do that either. Um, so, uh, David, I think I answered your question extremely specifically. You're very articulate with your thoughts. I think it's great you're sharing your thoughts. I, you're wrong on all your thoughts, but now you'll be right. So no worries. Um, and because you're so detailed in how you were thinking, it was easy for me to go, other people are probably thinking the same thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know why I need to do that because they're not hesitant to click on a YouTube link and because it looks professional and it's still going to be private. And, oh, the other part he put in there, oh, maybe I should send them my website where they need to enter a YouTube, uh, enter a username and password. Oh my God, no, guys. If you want to just never license anything, or have anybody never look at your video, give them a username and password and tell them they need to log into your website. You know, when you send a marketing manager an email, you have six seconds to make an impression on that sell sheet that's just popping up in the email. So expect them to click on your website, enter a username and password and look at it. You're asking way too much, too much. They're doing too many other things. They're too busy. They don't got time for that, okay? So um, do not, 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 not do that. But thank you, David, so much for answering those 
asking those questions because we could make everybody more knowledgeable about this. So you did a great job asking those questions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Jeremy, totally related, which is the next question. What are some tips for making a one minute or less sales video? So one of the best ways to make a good um, sales video, which we always say one minute or less, and yeah, I would say the most common is 15 to 45 seconds. It could be super short, could be 10 seconds, could be as much as a minute. You really don't want to go over a minute. I've seen a few where I'm like, well, okay, it could be 80 seconds instead of 60, and it could be up to a minute and a half, but really just try to keep it under a minute, guys. There's really no reason not to. There's usually something you can chop. So always keep it to that time frame is my first tip for any video you have. You also need to take a look at, is this video kind of a supplement to a sell sheet they're already seeing? They're seeing the sell sheet and they're clicking on it and they're watching the video. Or is it, some of our students will just do a video. So some of our students do a sell sheet, that's it. Some do a sell sheet and a video, and then some just do a video. It really depends. The coach, our coaches look at the student's product and figure out what makes sense and it's different. But a lot more just do a sell sheet. Some do a sell sheet and a video, and some will just do a video, but I would say it's a little less common. But it's definitely acceptable if it's done right. And and you can nice thing about a sell a video is you can throw more stuff in there. Do you necessarily want to? No. So just because you can throw everything in the kitchen sink in there, you still want to get the main point across. You don't want to talk about these five variations. Oh, and then we got, they're just starting to get it. Now you're sharing five variations. So don't do that. But it is possible to get more into a video, a 60 second or less video than in a sell sheet. The question is, do you want to include all this stuff? And a lot of times I would say no, but sometimes I'm like, oh, well, that's good. And you know, it's flashing up there on the screen for three or four seconds. And it's a good thing sometimes. Um, I would watch, and I'm not saying you do it like an infomercial. If you ever seen the as seen on TV, infomercial, direct TV, they're all called all the same thing there. If you ever seen those ads, yeah, they're kind of cheesy. And that's not all or whatever. But the format's pretty good. It's like problem, solution. You see the problem, you see the solution. You know, watch some as seen on TV videos right here on YouTube. You can type in as seen on TV videos and you don't have to be cheesy like they're being because some of them are cheesy. Some of them are not. They're very good. But you're you've got a problem and a solution and they're very clear to the point. So I would suggest like watching 10 or 15 of those and you're like, oh, I get the idea. Now, the other thing is it doesn't need to be professionally done. Most of our students, we will. Our graphic designers will do the sell sheet and the virtual prototype for our students as part of our coaching program. Um, but we don't have a video service. So when our students do videos, and nor do I think you need it, they usually shoot it on their iPhone or their Android phone. Sorry, I'm getting like stuffed up. I'm going to sneeze here. And just to warn you, I sneeze really loud. Okay, it passed. Um, so it doesn't need to look super professional. So I said, well, use the as seen on TV infomercials, like use that as a base going, oh, I see how they talked about it. They came to the conclusion really quick, problem, solution, problem, solution sort of formula. Um, but that doesn't mean it needs to look really refined like you see there. And I, I have marketing managers all the time telling us, look, it doesn't need to be super refined. It just needs to be straight to the point. So I get what the product is and I see the benefit. So you can definitely... Um, shoot something in your iPhone or your Android. And then if you're on a Mac, you can edit an iMovie. It's built into the Mac. On the PC, there's tons of free editing software. There's a bunch of software you can edit on your freaking phone now. So, um, and then you can go back and you can do a narration over top of it. So sometimes you'll just shoot it and then you'll narrate over it later. Sometimes you'll just shoot yourself and, or somebody will shoot you and, or you have somebody else in the family that you're shooting and, you're just running it all the way through. It's about 45 seconds. You talk for 45 seconds. You talk about it. And you've got no edits at all. Other times, let's say it's a dog toy. You throw it and you watch the dog playing with it. That's like a clip. And it's coming back to you. You talk about it a little bit. And then you got to see the dog playing with it at the end. Maybe you chop it up. So you do not need to be Steven Spielberg here, people. I mean, you're not doing an hour and a half movie. We watched like a, a two-hour movie with my daughter and my wife last night. This is like... 30, 45 seconds, and maybe you'll have like two or three edits. Maybe you've got six or seven edits, but if you can just learn how to cut, 
the beginning and end. And then, okay, now I want this piece cut beginning and end, put them together. Maybe it's just what you said already on the video. Maybe you cut out the video and then you narrate over top of it after you got all the clips or before or what have you. Um, so my biggest tips are it doesn't need to look super professional. Have it look decent, but you can shoot it with your iPhone. Be very direct to the point. Use the format of the infomercial guys, although you don't have to be cheesy like them. But you can kind of see how they're solving a problem. Um, always be under 60 seconds. Um, and it's just like a sell sheet. You know, you got to have a benefit. Like you have these benefits of the of the product, not all these features, endlessly naming features. You know, you're probably not going to be able to keep it under 60 seconds, nor is it a good idea. What is the benefit? What's the core benefit? Is it going to make it easier to chop vegetables? Is your dog, do dogs just have all sorts of fun with it and go crazy for it? You know, this dog toy or whatever it is. Um, does it make your car smell great because it's an air freshener? What is the benefit of the product? Is it easy to install? Is it a cost effective? You know, that sort of thing. So thank you, Jeremy, for that question. Um, Derek said, with products taking longer to get back from overseas, could you see a shift from companies bringing manufacturing back to the U.S.? Uh, you know, I still see the vast majority of the student, our students, their licensing almost always to American or European companies that are getting the product made in most of the time, China. Um, you can see even companies like Apple are starting to get um, stuff made in Vietnam or in other areas. Um, I think for some of these really big companies, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. You are going to see a shift. It's really hard to kind of read the political and economic landscape. It's a very tumultuous time. It is what it is. The thing is, for, for you as an inventor, I'm just going to exaggerate to make a point. You don't care. I mean, I care. I would love to see more manufacturing come to the U.S., but you need to get your product out in the market, right? And if you say, well, I'm only licensed to a company that manufactures product in the U.S., you're welcome to do that, but you're going to be very limited um, on what companies you can license to. So uh, one attitude would be like, it's none of my business where they get it made for now. I am just trying to get this product out in the world so people can enjoy it. Maybe one company, we've had plenty of companies that, that we know are students of license to. Maybe they're manufacturing in Ohio. Maybe they're manufacturing in Shenzhen, China. Maybe they're manufacturing parts of it in China and then they're assembling parts of it here. Maybe some of the packaging's done here. It's a worldwide economy. But I do see that changing. But I don't think it's something you need to actively think about. If you're like, hey, morally, ethically, I'm only going to sell to companies that manufacture in the U.S., you're welcome to do that. But I don't think it's something you should even really be thinking about unless that's important to you. You should just, they're going to get it made wherever they get it made. That's not within your control whatsoever. The big benefit of licensing is putting it off on some big company and they're going to do their thing. If they get stuff made in, in China, they're going to make it in China. If they get stuff made in Vietnam, they're going to make it in Vietnam. If they get stuff made in the U.S., they're going to do whatever they do now. They're not going to change for you. Um, so... Uh, I think I do see some of it coming back, but man, we don't really have the workforce here that's capable or desires to have a lot of those types of jobs. And it's still going to be cheaper in Asia. So, you know, as we have uh, a, a economy, a maturing economy, I think it's still always a good percentage. Some of the manufacturing, like, like some of the chip stuff, it's just really disastrous for us to be making it all overseas. I mean, that is a giant, giant problem for security. And there's a certain industries where, yes, you're without a doubt going to see more manufacturing in the U.S. Um, but for some of these other products, it's always going to go to the developing countries. It might start going to India or Vietnam or, or Malaysia or, or wherever. It's just always going to go there because Americans don't want to work for those low wages and those tedious jobs, you know. Some of that may come back in certain industries, but I wouldn't hold your breath that it's like all going to come back like as of 30 years ago and it'll be like for 30 years ago. I mean, that would be a very different world. Um, but I, I have no idea what's going to happen. But the chip manufacturing, oh, my God, we got to bring that back. We were so stupid for for just going, oh, we'll just trust overseas doing that. That's just some of what we did and what we let happen. It was just idiotic. Um, but 
companies, these big companies, they manufacture. And, you know, when you license to a U.S. company, they are employing a ton of people in the U.S. And yes, they're manufacturing it in China, maybe. And maybe some of it's in the U.S., but they're still you are supporting U.S. citizens and you are supporting jobs in the U.S. because there's a lot of things they're not. The accounting's not done in China. The sales isn't done in China. There's tons of stuff that's done here. Maybe the packaging's done here. Maybe other things are done here. So don't think that if a company, a U.S. company, is getting stuff made in China, that it's not supporting the U.S. economy because it is. But and I hope that a lot of that comes back here. That would be great. But I don't know. I, we'll we'll see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mikey, what comes in order to do first from, uh, from last, first from last virtual prototype, sell sheet, PPA. Okay. So virtual prototype, sell sheet and PPA before all of those things is step number one in the system studying the marketplace. So you need to look at all the products in the space of your invention. So it's, if you were doing a barbecue spatula, you should know every freaking barbecue spatula in the market, the range of their prices, um, the benefits of each one. You, if you spent four hours, you could become an expert and know more about barbecue spatulas if you had a barbecue spatula invention than somebody that works in a barbecue store because they know what's in their barbecue store, but they don't know what's in the entire marketplace. But because it's so specific, it's not all barbecue accessories. You couldn't learn all that in four hours, but you could learn all the barbecue spatulas. So you need to know the micro category of your invention and be honest with yourself. You shouldn't be trying to prove, well, that one sucks and that one's no good. Mine's better than that. That is going, doing your research with blinders on. You will mess yourself up every time if you do that. You need to be honest. You say, well, okay, I can see why people buy that. It's cheap and that one has that benefit. And that one kind of has a little bit of mine, but mine's a little bit different. You need to know that. So that is step number one in the system, not a virtual prototype, not a sell sheet, not a PPA, okay? So but after you've done that research, then you should really be starting to do your list of potential licensees to know what kind, and so a lot of those you've gotten from just doing your research and studying the micro category. Um, and you need to know, well, how many companies do I have here? Get that done before you start making a virtual prototype or a sell sheet or a PPA. Okay, how many companies do I have to reach out to? Now, a lot of you, most of you, will have an anemic list, two, three, four, five companies. And somebody like myself or an event right coach will look at it and go, oh, you got like 30 here, easy. Like, you know, and so realize that when you think your list is limited, most often it is not. You just don't know how to make your list. But let's say you've done your research, you've made your list of companies. What comes next? Your virtual prototype, your sell sheet, or your PPA? Probably your virtual prototype. And then once you have that, then you do the sell sheet and you stick your virtual prototype in your sell sheet. And then the last thing you do before you start reaching out to companies is you file your PPA. Everybody wants to do that first. In the process of doing your research, doing your marketing piece, quite often you're going to find stuff you weren't aware of. And you want to include, you might go, oh, I didn't know that existed. Oh, well, I'm going to come up with a slightly different version as well. I'm going to throw in my provisional patent because you always want to include those variations, workarounds, and improvements in your provisional patent. So that's the reason why it's the absolute last thing before you start LinkedIn messaging, emailing, and calling marketing managers at these companies. You do want to do it before you start reaching out, but you want to do it the last thing you do. And most people don't do it that way. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you use our software, Smart IP software, and you file a PPA and you spend 75 bucks, then you do some research. You're like, oh, crap, I forgot to include that. Or I better include another version because I didn't realize that other product was out there. Now you're going to spend another 75 bucks and you're only wasting another 75 bucks to file another provisional. If you use our software and you're filing it yourself, which is what we got our students to do, but that's just not the proper order of things. So I really like your question, Mike. It was great. Um, the other question from Mike is, how do I get my virtual prototype done in EventRight Design Studio if I'm not a student? So you just go to our website and you're going to click around and you're going to find our Design Studio um, page and you are going to order a virtual prototype. It's just that simple. Okay. Um, now. What I've noticed is when our students sign up with us, when they get a sell sheet and a virtual prototype done with our design studio, 
the coach is guiding them to make sure it's a good sell sheet, to make sure their thoughts about what the virtual prototype should be are good. And it's better than the public ordering something from our design studio, telling because the design studio will do whatever they're told. You want a virtual prototype like this? They'll do it. If you want a sell sheet and you say, this is my marketing copy, they'll just put down, they're not marketing people, they're designers. Now, when you're getting coached, they're going to tell you what is good marketing, what's the good benefit statement, what are the good bullet points, how should this thing be laid out? So when you use our design studio as a non-student, they're just going to do whatever you tell them. And if what you tell them isn't good, your sell sheet's not going to be good. So they're only as good as the information you give them. They're not doing the marketing. They're just making it pretty like you asked them to do. Okay, so that's the big difference. But if you're a coaching student, we prep you before you send it to the designer. So that's the difference between publicly using Design Studio or using it as an InventRight student. Uh, let's see what else we got here. My mouse always pages up too quick here. Derek said, I heard you ask several times, and yes, you can like as much as like as you watch. Okay. So yeah, Derek was, I was saying, hey, do you guys see a thumbs up button? And if you see one down below, give it to me if you like, what if you think I'm helpful. If not, give me a thumbs down. Um, and then subscribe down below and then click on the notification button too. If you're already subscribed, don't click on it again because it'll unsubscribe you. But that can be your way saying thank you, Andrew, for spending a whole hour answering questions. Um, thank you, Derek, for asking everybody to, to give me a like too. I appreciate that. Uh, Will said, Happy New Year's. Veronica said, Hi. Happy New Year's, Will. And hi, Veronica. Um, oh, okay. Roman too said, I hope I do not come off as rude. Just curious. How can we make sure that the InventRight team will not run off with a unique idea of one of their students? Can we trust our assigned mentor? So first of all, that would be the end of our business if we were taking our students' ideas. We've been around for 23 years. Um, we do conferences with the patent office. So they don't trust invention promotion companies, but they trust us because we've been doing this for two decades. And we sign a non-disclosure agreement that covers Stephen and myself as a co-founder sign it, covers everybody in the company. So everything you share with your coach is confidential. If they have an improvement for you, you own all improvements. You own 100% of any royalties that you get. We own nothing. It's a very transparent, confidential relationship. So um, yeah, I mean, we've never had a problem in 23 years. Never. Um, so all our coaches, and I think that comes from just hiring good people. Every one of our coaches is a former InventRight student. We've vetted them. We've known them for six months to a year or more before we decided to hire them as a coach and they got more training. So we kind of know these people. They're not like, oh, let's just hire some random people off the street and make them an invention coach. They wouldn't be a good coach if we did that anyway. Um, so, you know, everything is confidential. You, you don't have, you can, you want to be able to share anything with your coach, which you can. Um, and that's very, very important. Uh, Alex says, happy new year. I'm a big fan and going to be a student in a while. Great. Thank you, Alex. That's great. I have a question. Do you guys help from zero to close deal? Yes, we do. All the way from, I have a thought in my head. There's a ton of stuff in between to, um, closing the deal and policing the deal even. And so, you know, when it gets to this negotiation stuff, your coach will stay with you, but you're also going to get our negotiation coach, Paul, to guide you through it. That includes going through the contract, getting you to the contract. A lot of people have this impression that if I get interest, oh, they're just going to send a contract like on a couple of days or a week or two. That's not the way it works. You need to do and say certain things to get to the contract. And our negotiation coach, Paul, is an expert at that. So that gets a little dicier. That's why he handles all the negotiations for our students, not for our students, with our students. So for instance, if you got a call coming up, he won't be on the call with you, but he'll prep you. He'll go, oh, I see these emails from before. Here's where their head's at. Here's how I want you to handle yourself on this call. I'll tell you exactly what to say. Then when you get off, you're going to do a debrief with him. He'll be like, okay, here are the next steps. If it's an email, your coach or Paul or negotiation coach, will you'll get an email. I don't know what to say this. And the, your coach or negotiation coach, Paul, will go, oh, we get that all the time. Here's what they really mean. Here's what you want to say back. So you basically don't want to reply to a single email or get on a single phone call without us prepping you uh, for it ahead of time. But you're the one that's going to be on the phone call and you're the one that's going to be replying to the email. The coach might tell you what to say, but they're not going to reply to the company for you. 
the coach isn't going to be on the call with you. But negotiations are typically these days, I would say one to three months. Sometimes it could drag on four or five months. Sometimes it could be as little as a month, but that'd be pretty unusual. I would say a month and a half, two and a half months is more typical of back and forth. They need to get some quotes overseas. Sally's on vacation. They need to talk over here. These are big companies, guys. You don't get interest from a company and you're closing a deal within two weeks. Uh-uh. That's not, and if you are, there's usually something wrong there. Um, I've had some students like, they're like, oh, you know, I just talked to them the first time and there's this. And I'm like, and I look and I'm like, uh, it's not even a real company. That's like, that's like a scam. And they're like, oh, really? Okay. It's like one of these invention promotion companies. They thought they were a real company or something. Well, I filed a patent and they reached out to me. I'm like, uh, no company's going to reach out to you. You need to reach out to them. Um, so, yeah. And Alex, with regards to that, you know, people come to us. We don't make people go back and do what they already did correctly. But we want them to take a look at what they did. And if it's like coach looks through it and goes, oh, yeah, you're good there. But if they see you did something incorrectly before you came to us as a student, they're like, oh, well, we need to fix this and this. So sometimes people go, we hear this a lot. Like I'm advanced, people say. And when I dig down into it, people think they're advanced because they filed a patent and did a prototype. I'm like, you're not advanced. You just threw a bunch of money at people. That's not advanced. Um, and they didn't do their research right. Their sell sheet sucks. Or most of the time, they don't have a sell sheet. Their thoughts of the list of companies is way too small, you know. And so it, it's I see I hear it all the time. Dana and Sylvia do sales for us. They're like people always say they're advanced. And when we look, we're like, you're dude, you're not advanced. You're like green. Um, and what you're saying is, I don't. I'm afraid that you're going to tell me to do some sort of work. It's like, well, that's why you signed up to be a student and to get coaching. You can't live in a world with blinders. We know how to do licensing. You're going to want to hear the real deal. If you did something, you did it wrong. You're going to want to hear from us. We're not going to make you redo anything you already did right. But um, so people that think they're advanced, typically, um, if we tell them, no, you're not, you still need to fix these things. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're not a right match for you. You know, um, there's, a, there's a reason uh, arrogance doesn't get you anywhere. I think when you're old, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're 20 something or you're 80 something, when you're not willing to learn anything new, you're old. And if you think you know better than everybody else, you're going to end up making a lot of mistakes. Um, but if you know there's an expert in the area, in this case, licensing, they're not going to tell you, you did something wrong if it's right. So don't be afraid of it. So I think some people, they they spent so much time dicking around with a patent, a prototype, and this most of the time thinking about it, not actually doing anything. They feel like they're advanced. And what they really mean is, look, I put a lot of work into this. I put a lot of thought. I've stressed a lot about it. And we're just going to be like, I don't care what you did. We're going to tell you the real deal. And that's how we are at InventRight. Um, you know, I, we're, we're always nice about it. You got to be sensitive about it, but you also got to be real. Um, and most of you, oh God, I don't know, 98% of the people that end up signing up, they're like, yeah, I want to hear your advice. Damn it. Of course. That's what I signed up for. You always get a few in there. It's like, why did you ask for coaching? You obviously think you know better than everybody else. And you've never done a licensing deal. You have no track record, but you know how to do it all. Why'd you sign up? But that's very, we don't get those very often. Um, uh, Marlon said, happy new year, Andrew. I contacted a company for my idea but no reply so far. How can I get a response? Should I hire some help? So first of all, Marlon, you contacted a company. Um, most of our students contact 20 or 30 companies and quite often two, three, four people in each company. You're going to have to play a numbers game and you're going to have to reach out to some of them two, three, four, five, six times before they respond. Sometimes you reach out, first person you reach out to, they're like, oh yeah, you can send something over. Um, so you need to play the numbers game. And yeah, we can help you with that. We can guide you and coach you and mentor you through that. I found that people on their own just do not push out to enough companies. They don't make a big enough list. Their marketing materials are not good. Um, and they don't reach out to multiple people in the same company. And they don't know how to communicate with companies. They don't know how to follow up and follow through. Once the company says, yeah, you can send me what you have. And they also get really upset 
with um, whatever a company may say. They misinterpret what the company's saying. Um, and they experience something once or twice. And then they're telling me, like, this is when they're not a student. Oh, well, this is how it is. And I'm like, no, that's not how it is. Well, two companies told me this. I'm like, so two companies told you that. You reached out to only two companies. Now you're assuming you're statistically insignificant because you don't have enough experience. I can tell you I've been doing this 23 years and that some companies will say that, but you're, you need to come back and say this. And also, so what if they're not open to ideas? Let's say out of 30 companies, three are not open to ideas. So what? But people get really upset about it. And then they start to make all these assumptions. A lot of assumptions, I guess, is what I'm saying. Don't make all those assumptions. You know, talk to people that have done it. Um, so thank you, Marlon, for your question. Um, Joshua says, what about a cartoon? It's not an invention, but I'm doing a 2D cartoon. I'm having animators and voiceovers from Fiverr. Uh, I guess an animated cartoon. Uh, who do I contact for copyright, trademark, et cetera? So, yeah, that's kind of nice. There's obviously no provisional patent there. It's just a copyright. And yeah, you can trademark the name. Um, it's a little outside of our scope. That's really more publishing. Um, of course, though, if you have a cartoon that becomes popular, um, you can do you can do stuffed animals, you can do coffee mugs, you can do T-shirts. And you can actually do that before your cartoon is public and people know about it if it stands up on its own. So let's say the characters are just funny or gross or edgy. If you put it on a T-shirt, you think people would buy it without even ever seeing the cartoon. Well, then you could start licensing it now. But if you believe people will need to see the cartoon before they'll want the characters, um, then you're going to need to wait for that to become famous or quasi-famous before you can do brand licensing deals and license the characters. Um, so uh, copyright is just the Library of Congress. You can type in Library of Congress. You can file a copyright on your work. Um, trademark, if you know it's going to be that name, you can file a registered trademark. Um, you know, before you spend a lot of money, though, uh, like we have InventRight as our trademark. We've been in business 23 years, and I think it was only about four or five years ago we bothered to register our trademark. Before, it was just a common law trademark, and we just put a TM and a circle around it. It didn't cost us a dime. Um, so if you're going to actually use it in commerce, that's going to make a relative strength for your trademark. If somebody else, let's say before five years ago, we've been in business 18 years ago, five years ago. If somebody tried to do invention coaching or licensing related stuff and they call themselves InventRight, we would kick their ass. We would go, here's the track record. Here's all our stuff. Here's our website. You can use a Wayback Machine. Here's all the stuff we've done. InventRight's plastered over everything. Your toast unless you remove that InventRight um, name, it's ours because it's called a common law trademark. So you don't have to register a trademark for it to be protective, but registering it does provide you an additional measure of protection. Don't go blowing a ton of money with a, with a trademark attorney though. Okay. Um, let's see, Abdul, Abdullah, Abduli, I think actually, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I have an idea about tricks. I'm not an expert on that. What should I do? I don't know what tricks is. So if you, Abdulli, if you're still here, I don't see any more clarification. If you could tell me what you're referring to with tricks. Um, I have an idea about tricks. I'm not an expert on that. What should I do? You know, I, my my wife and I, my daughter, we went and saw a magician on, was that on Saturday. That was kind of fun. Um, so I don't know what kind of tricks, magic tricks, other tricks. I don't know. If you could give me more explanation, I, maybe I can answer it. Um, Kelly Roberts says, if we pay a marketing company to market our patent idea for licensing and sales, what are some marketing tactics we should receive, we should receive, expect from that company? So I would personally, I would never work with an invention promotion company that claims to license your product for you every day and, um, doesn't, and I don't know if you just Google the name of some of these companies, you'd, you'd run screaming. So I don't know why people still are getting taken to this day and age, but they'll say, we're going to submit your idea to industry. And for a new inventor, they're like, well, they say they have the contacts and they can do that. But what I found most of them do, and I've talked to like I was at SuperZoo and I was talking to this company and Stephen, our other co-founder was there with me. SuperZoo is a trade show in Las Vegas. It's a pet trade show. We talked to a company. We said, do you receive out, uh, outside ideas from inventors? They said, no, we don't. We were getting so much spam from these invention promotion companies. We just said, we don't receive outside ideas from inventors anymore. 
And they were like, this is what they were saying. The owner of the company was saying, I was getting stuff. I was getting like bicycle ideas. I'm, we're a pet toy company. Like they were just spamming me with stuff that wasn't appropriate for our product line. And so what some of these invention promotion companies do or their contracts say is they need to submit your idea to industry. They spam a few people. And then a year later, they go, oh, nobody's interested. And they keep your ten dollars or $12,000. And the marketing presentations, most of the ones I've seen are absolutely laughable. So if you're looking for a company to do this all for you, now, when you license to a company, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. They're already in 30,000 stores. Great. That's a company, a manufacturer that manufactures and sells product at retail. Okay, that's the company you want to license to. But if you're looking for an invention promotion company, they don't necessarily call themselves that. Oh, inventors will help you and we'll license the product for you. I have never met an inventor in 23 years I've been running InventRight and 14 years I ran an inventors group that has ever licensed a product that way. We talk to somebody at InventRight every day or every other day at the very least, at least every other day, that's been taken for 10 or 12 grand. And they're licking their wounds. They're going, ah, oh, you know, Andrew, they signed up with this company and they didn't do anything. And, and um, you, I've been watching you guys. You guys are the real deal. I'm ready to do the work. You know, because that's what we got. We coach and mentor you to do the work. We don't say we're going to do it all for you. And you're in for a world of hurt, Kelly, if you go that direction. That's all I can say. And you can go to the Federal Trade Commission, type in Federal Trade Commission Invention Promotion Companies. And they're actually very light because they got to be careful or government agency about what they say or don't say. But they have a list. It's just like, just don't waste your time. You know, it's just and your money. And you're just... And if you Google some of these bigger ones, you type in this company name and scam or whatever, you'll just see pages and pages of complaints. And those are the, the ones that they didn't like threaten somehow to get it removed from Google or what have you. So don't either do it yourself. You try to license it. But you're not doing it yourself. When you license it, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. You move on and license other stuff, right? So that's good enough. That's incredible. But if you think you don't have to talk to anybody or do anything because your invention is so great, you're just going to end up getting scammed for a bunch of money and nothing's going to happen. And I see it over and over and over again. You go to any invention um, association around the country, first thing they do is warn all the members against invention promotion companies. Now, Stephen and myself as a co-founder of InventRight, we spoke to all these groups. They let us in because they know we're the good guys. And they know we're, we're giving great tips and we're teaching people to license their products. And we're not one of those invention promotion companies. But OK, so thank you. That was from. From Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Eugene. Hello. I'm seeking funding for my invention ideas. Well, Eugene, you don't need it because when you license to a big company, let's say they make kitchen cutting boards and other kitchen accessories and they're in Bed Bath & Beyond, Target and Walmart. It's their money. You don't need funding. You don't need to manufacture anything. They're going to manufacture it. They're going to use their team, sales, marketing, accounting. It's just another product in their product line. You license it to them, which is essentially renting or leasing it to them, and they are going to sell the product. You do not need funding. You only need funding if you're going to manufacture, sell it yourself. And basically, no retailer will take this little inventor seriously um, with their one product. They don't want to deal. These large retailers do not want to deal with one product companies. They're worried you're not going to deliver on time. You're going to have quality control issues. You're going to run out of money. But if you license it to a big company and they talk to that retailer, they take that retailer seriously and the retailer takes them seriously because they know that they have a track record, but you got no track record. So you piggyback on a big company. And when your product is licensed with them, you, you essentially are that big company. You have the power of a big company. So you don't need funding when you're licensing. So watch your channel more. And you'll start to understand what licensing is. Um, Richard says, in the coaching program, what happens after six months and you still don't have a licensing agreement? Well, you know, some of our students will license products during that six months. Some of them will license it at eight or 10 months. Some of them will license their second or third product. You know, you will not license every single product you work on. That's unrealistic, guys. That's why our whole approach is to teach people to, to spend typically less than $200 or $300 on a product. 75 for a provisional patent, a few bucks for a sell sheet, virtual prototype. And if you don't license it, let's say you reach out to 30 companies, get 30 notes. Would I say, oh, you're done? Throw that in the garbage can? Hell no. We get students all the time. They put it on the shelf. They work on another project. And like six or eight months later, they push that same product that they couldn't license out. They got 30 notes. 
Only our students do this. Other inventors don't even remotely do this. Other inventors never reach out to 30 companies, let alone repitch a product they already worked on. So you keep yourself busy by working on more um, products. And then six or eight months later, you resend it to everybody you sent to before. If they didn't give you, if they give you a specific reason, it won't work because of this, don't resend it to them. Most of the time you're going to get not this time, not a right match, that kind of like generic answer. They might have actually liked your product. Well, Andrew, why didn't they tell me? Because they're too busy. They're a marketing manager. They liked it kind of, but they're like, I'm so slammed. I got these projects. I'm managing these people. So they reply not at this time or not a right match. Okay. And then six or eight months later, you got their email already. You resend it to them. And now that same person has said no is showing interest because two weeks earlier, you got lucky with this one person. It's not luck. It's work. And they two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. Now they're taking a closer look at it where before they were just overwhelmed. So if your product makes sense and you don't license it within that six months and you maybe you get some feedback, maybe you make some changes, send it back out, put it on the shelf, not the garbage can, work on another product instead of stewing and being upset. That's unprofessional. It's not what a professional inventor would do. When I say professional inventor, I'm talking about somebody that's working two to six hours a week on it. They got a day job or they got another business and you reach out and you send it again. So this thought that you will license no inventor, no matter how good they are on the face of the planet, will license every single product they work on. That's a green newbie thing to think. But it's also a worry. I love this product so much. I'm attached to it. Okay, don't give it up. Put it on the shelf, not the garbage can. And just resend it out. And, you know, I, 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 I talked to this one past student that had licensed some products. And I was talking to them. And they were talking about a new product. And I go, well, how many, and this, this product, it was, it was, this student was a little extreme. I think they licensed one or two products. And they're like, well, how many other products do you work on? They're like seven. And I, well, send them to me. And I looked at them. And I'm like, well, these are cool products. You didn't license them? No, no, I didn't license them. I'm like, but they were talking about working on a new one. I'm like, why would you work on this new one? How many of these have you gone back out to? They're like, none. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the easiest thing in the world. You know, you've got seven products. You probably got 30 companies for each one. That's 210 people to reach out to, companies to reach out to. You multiply that maybe like three by three people in each company. It's like 600 people to reach out to. You're going to license one of these seven. I said, these are good products. You just didn't hit them at the right time. And they're like, oh, okay. All right, Andrew. Yeah, I'll do that. And we talked to them about it before, but they wanted to work on a new product. They were still in that mindset like, oh, these people said no. So therefore it's done. It's not done. Very, very, very important. Um, I did a, a show with one of our coaches, April, on this topic. She's licensed several products that way. Sometimes you rework it, sometimes the exact same freaking thing. So this is a mindset of a professional inventor. And you don't need to be doing this full-time to be a professional inventor. Almost all of our students are part-time. Some people go full-time. I think Scott that licensed this Squigs product, I think he's licensed like 30, 40 products or more. Um, I think he's full-time, but you know, you don't have to be full-time. Um, okay, so so Richard, you said, what happens after the six months? Well, people that sign up with our premium coaching, they get six months of Alumni Plus, where you get some group coaching and you get some other, um, you get like co-founder calls and you get webinars and you get Smart Pitch, which is specifically about reaching out. So you get a whole bunch of extras for another six months after your six months of coaching too. That's included with the premium program, but I don't want to sound like I'm pitching here. You asked, so I'm just saying. Um, uh, no, Ron, it's not. The success rate for licensing is not one to three percent. It's gonna. It's not. It's not that at all. The statistic that you're talking about is some, and, and nobody has really verified where these stats came from. The patent office has mentioned them. We've mentioned them before. Where you say that. 97% of all patents, not people that reached out to seriously licensed products like our InventRight students do, only 97% of patents don't make inventors more money than they spend on the patent. Here's why. Most inventors don't do what InventRight students do. They, they spend money on patents, prototypes. They reach out. A lot of them will reach out to no companies. I'm not kidding, people. People will spend tons of money on a patent, reach out to no companies. Or it's really common. I seem to reach out to one, two, or three of their favorite with terrible marketing materials. I wonder why people aren't successful. But our InventRight students are reaching out to 20 or 30 companies with great marketing materials, did a great job with the PPA. And a lot of them have fall past before they came to us, but they don't do that anymore because that's not 
worth spending the money on that. They file a provisional patent, they spend 75 bucks, which lets them keep going and work on unlimited projects for the rest of their life. They'll never go broke. And, and you can definitely license a lot of products that way. So, but that what InventRight students do and what the average inventor does is so different. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy. The effort that InventRight students make, which is just like sweeping the floor, if you ask me, once you get used to it, um, and what other inventors do. Other inventors file patents and make prototypes, and their efforts to reach out are anemic, pathetic. And the marketing materials are terrible, reaching out to the wrong companies with the wrong benefits. And, and so, you know, you can be very successful with licensing, um, but it doesn't happen overnight. And I love that we do not sell get rich quick. There's so many get rich quick shysters out there. I'm not even talking about inventing. Buy this course and you'll make a million dollars overnight garbage. You will not do that with licensing. Guaranteed. You will not make a million dollars overnight. Let, let's say it's a product that did really, really well. Let's say you're earning $200,000 a year and it sells for five years. Well, that's a million dollars. That's definitely not overnight. Let's say it's making you $50,000 a year in royalties and it sells for five years. Well, that's a quarter million dollars. You didn't need to take the financial risk or do the work. And they took all that risk and did all the work and keep your day job. That's a freaking amazing business opportunity. I love that. Let's say you're just making $20,000. Let's say this product is really not selling that great, but it's selling, sells for eight years, let's say, and it's, but it's making like you like $20,000 a year in royalties. What's $160,000 and you just license it, dump the whole thing on them. Great. Then you license another product. Let's say it's super ridiculously not doing well, but it's doing well enough where they want to hang on to it. And it's, it's making only $10,000 a year, but it sells for 10 years. Well, that's $100,000. You know, some products only sell for two, three years. Some will sell for five or eight or 10. It really varies, you know. Um, but that's the reality, guys. If you want to get rich quick overnight with no effort, just just stop. Just stop, you know. But what we teach people to do is not difficult. It's not rocket science. Anybody can do it. Uh, we've had people that have MBAs, PhDs, people that have no business background whatsoever, you don't need to be a captain of industry. It's just like, can you follow directions? Can you just observe what else is in the marketplace? You know, um, you can do it. Anybody can do it. I've seen some people that um, were very limited in their abilities and they were able to do it. And I've seen people that are incredibly skilled in their abilities and they were able to do it. Um, and vice versa. You know, I've seen people struggle for a bit and then finally clicks. And I've seen people get really lucky. Like, you know, they only, they had 30 on their list, but damn, they got interest and they did a licensing deal with the third company they called and everything in between. There's not like, oh, here, it's going to work exactly like this. That's what these get rich quick shysters make you believe. I'm not talking about Talking about ones that sell other courses, not even about inventing. Like, oh, follow the formula and it will work every time perfectly. But you got to realize when you're doing this sort of stuff, they're teaching you to sell on Amazon or, or Etsy or, or selling Google AdWords or some whatever, or you're selling, usually selling some crappy course to more people, selling another get rich quick scheme to other people. You, you've seen that kind of crap. I don't know why people fall for that. I always thought millennials like, I always thought they saw through that, but I see a lot of millennials fall for that garbage. You know, I was like, okay. Um, but you, you got to do some work. You're not going to just have an idea and not have to do any work, but it is not hard, people. It really isn't. But it takes a while to, to, for it to catch on for you to get the idea. Um, Sal said, uh, Jack Mack, it won't accept your patent online if you don't provide everything they like. Having said that, it isn't reviewed so you can can in theory attach docs, they were required and they aren't right. I don't know if he's talking about a provisional patent. Yeah, there are no formal requirements for a provisional patent if that's what he's talking about. Um, uh, let's see, Ron from Ron FRM. I just like Eugene, have an idea, have considered building a prototype, but I need funding to produce. No, you don't. 
Are there avenues for this or any advice, whether this is a helpful way to go? Um, you're not selling your prototype, guys. You're not selling your patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. So we can do a virtual prototype showing them, oh, that's what it's going to look like. And you know they can make it, but you're having a hard time making a prototype. That's what the vast majority of our students do. Most of our students don't never even make a prototype. So I'm not saying you never have to. Sometimes you do, but most of the times you don't. Um, so don't think you need funding. Don't think you need a prototype. You can sell the benefit of your idea in a marketing piece with a provisional application that costs you 75 bucks. Um, people get a false sense of moving forward by throwing money at things. Understand your two paths, licensing, venturing, venturing, sell it yourself, licensing, license it to a big company. They're going to do all the work. And if you think the only way is sell it yourself, you're wrong. And if you do go down that path, please make sure to get advice from somebody who's done it. It is freaking expensive as all hell, risky as all hell. And retailers do not want to talk to one skew one product companies. So now you got to create a whole product line. And that's not what most inventors have in mind. So be realistic about that. Um, uh, Soren was asking about typical percentages for royalties. Is there an average amount? So I'm going to tell you guys what the average amount is. Never, ever say it to a company because you can screw yourself. Okay. So the most common royalty rate we see is 5%. Now, keep in mind, some people go, oh, 5%. This is, this is going to be a really green idiot thing to say. 5%. I want 50%. <laughs> no, guys. Most of the time for most companies, for a lot of products, they're only looking at a 15 to 20% profit margin. So let's say they're at a 20% profit margin and they're giving you a quarter of their profit, 5%. Wow, that is a great deal. They're taking all the risk, doing all the work, spending all their money, using all their employees and their existing distribution. If you get 5% and they have a 20% profit margin, that is a good deal. Now, the reason why you don't want to go blurting out 5% when they ask you what you're looking for is I've had students that didn't do that. And then the company later came back and go, well, you know, we did a deal with this other guy for 8%. How's that sound? The students like, yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So don't go blurting that out. The most common royalty rate is 5%. But there's three factors to a royalty rate. There's the royalty rate. There's the price of the product. It's a 99 cent product. Is it a $500 product? Because you're getting royalty on, on the price of the product. And then the volume being sold. I don't care how good your royalty rate is. If they're only going to sell a thousand units a year, as opposed to another company that's going to sell half a million, that's relevant, right? So don't get all obsessed about the royalty rate. It's three things. The royalty rate, the price of the product, and the volume being sold. How big is this company? What can they do? And you're going to hold them to it in the licensing agreement. So, Soren, the average is 5%. Um, Mike Repair Stuff is their handle. It says, thank you, Andrew your steadfast and helping us invent. You're welcome. Um, you know, and I'm not really helping you guys invent. What I'm helping you guys do is get real about the business side, the boring side, the necessary side, the side that is not optional for licensing your product. You guys are all pretty creative. Um, coming up with ideas probably isn't hard for many of you. Maybe you came up with one, you're trying to come up with more. What we need to focus our, our students and our fans on is getting this thing licensed, selling it to a company, which is nothing about your creativity. It's nothing about your invention. I'm saying that to make a point is, of course, your invention is important, but it's about the boring stuff, doing some research, making a good marketing piece, filing a PPA, reaching out, reaching out three, four, five times before they respond, not getting upset about that, realizing that's just the way it goes. Not being emotional about it, but being businesslike about it. When I see our students work on their second, third product, they get very businesslike about it. First product, much more emotional, which is fine. But if you guys aren't going to be a student of ours and you're doing it on your own, my best advice for you is get business. Take your inventor hat off, put your, put your uh, licensing hat on, your business hat on, and be matter-of-fact, businesslike about it. Be as unemotional about it as you possibly can. Doesn't mean you're not going to show excitement about your product, but be unemotional about it. So let's see. All right. So if you guys want to type in any thank yous to me, I'd appreciate that. The other way you can say thank you is to give a thumbs up on this video, um, to subscribe down below and to click on the notification button as well. I do these every Monday. I haven't done a couple because we had like um, a couple holidays going on there. 
um, but I'm on here. So if you click the notification button, you'll get notified too. Every Monday at four o'clock Pacific, that would be one o'clock Eastern, um, three o'clock Mountain, two o'clock Central. Yeah, I think I got that. I feel like I'm on TV or something. So um, thank you guys. I really enjoy this. Uh, I know inventing, it's like part of who you are. It became part of who you are. You never asked it to be. You just started coming up with ideas one day. And we're here to take away that frustration for moving forward on the boring business side of things, which is what we're good at, which is necessary for you to license your product. But we have great respect for your creativity, but you need to become a business person and a professional product developer as well. And we're here to help you do that, whether you're a fan watching our live stream or whether you decide to become a student. And don't forget to check out our Contact Us page and our free resources page in the upper right-hand corner of our website. If you're on the phone, it's a little different. You'll find it. And I remind you guys, take care and keep inventing. See you guys. Bye.